All right, Bitcoin Accumulation Country, I'm your host, Coin Icarus, or Phil. This is the Fun with Bitcoin podcast, sponsored by Crypto Cloak's 3D Printing. Check them out for all your 3D printing needs. And today, I've got a great episode. I sat down with fellow Bitcoiner and Toxic Pleb, Frito2x, and we discussed various topics, Bitcoin and medicine. So without further ado, here we go. All right, everyone. Welcome to the Fun with Bitcoin podcast. I'm your host, Phil, or Coin Icarus, however you want to address me. And joining me today is fellow Bitcoiner and a person that I've grown to become good friends with on Twitter, Frito2x. Frito, thank you so much, man, for joining me on my pod. This is cool. Hey, Phil. Thanks so much for the invitation and the opportunity to come and talk. Uh, it's a real honor to be here. Uh, I'm a fan of your uh, shows, the the Fun with Bitcoin podcast and the Simply Bitcoin show with Nico. And I've listened for some time and um, it's nice to find that we have some common interest in our in our messaging. Um, you know, your show is like really uh, big time where you got Breedlove and Gigi and my buddy Pirate Beach, Pirate Beach Bomb, um, you know, and everyone's a scammer. But, you know, you and Nico have like really pure ethos. So um, I always enjoy listening to you. Man, that's a huge honor. Seriously, I, I really appreciate it. That 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 is massive, um, and it's also very humbling, of course. You know, we're we're just we're just trying to spread the message, right? And some of us have gone through, you know, some some uh, some shit coinery, and we've come out the other side much better for it. So, you know, we want to spread the message and try to maybe avoid some pitfalls for some folks. But um, okay, yes, sir. This this podcast though we're we're going to talk about something pretty serious right we're we're going to we're going to attempt to cover bitcoin and medicine as best we can but uh, before we get into that I I would like to if you if you can talk about your your rabbit hole story when you know where were you before you got into bitcoin and uh, you know how are we here now Sure Phil um you know going back to like 2008 you know which was a big year for bitcoin with the white paper and all, um, it was that was around when my parents retired. So they had worked pretty hard. They had a pretty solid retirement plan. And then we had the crisis, and a lot of the, a lot of the savings just evaporated, you know. And I'm sitting there watching the banking industry get bailed out. Well, normies felt forced to kind of settle for annuity, annuities for like pennies on a dollar. Um, and my parents said they were fine, but it was kind of like that South Park meme, uh, and it's gone. Yeah. <laughs> You know, the whole stock market just reset and everything was fine. And then the people who had made a bad deal were just left with next to nothing, you know. Um, so that was around when I started working. Um, that was kind of my first real job. So I had a lot of debt and I didn't know anything about money or investing, really. And then like maybe 2011 or 2012, I had heard about Bitcoin, you know, and it, it, it really just didn't really sound real. You know, maybe it was like a gift certificate or something like that. So um Around that time, I was kind of a fantasy sports nerd. I'm, I'm slowly breaking this habit, right? So I'm looking at batting averages and ERAs. And, and my wife said, you know, you're wasting your time. You should go learn about investing if you like numbers so much, you know? And she, she probably said that because she didn't want to stay in debt her whole life, you know, which I don't blame her. <laughs> so, you know, I started looking at stocks and, you know, started, you know, speculating on drone stocks and, and 3D printing stocks and things like that. But, you know, and I made a little bit of money, but you know, maybe average, which wasn't all that great, you know, and, you know, my, my dad was telling me that like the stock market was rigged, you know, which, which recently Robin Hood just kind of confirmed that. Right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, after a while you're wondering like, you know, how come I don't have any savings, you know, am I just really bad at 
managing money? You know, am I getting scammed somehow? You know, you, you, everybody just kind of feels like there's this thing that's wrong, but you don't know where it's coming from. You know, and, and then it was like the fall of 2013 and I, I heard about Bitcoin again and started looking into it and it started making sense, right? So we, we needed the sound money and, you know, um, you know, you go back and you look at the Genesis block and, you know, he says that, you know, <laughs> he doesn't want to bail out the bankers and he starts clicking. Um, and by the way, it was like obvious in 2013 that like all coins were scams, you know, and they just deserved toxicity. Mm -hmm. and it's amazing. It's amazing that people are just figuring this out now, right? So, so I started buying in the fall of 2013 and you just start watching your money go up, you know, and it's, it's amazing. You, you watch your money go up in real time. And back then it was like going up like a dollar at a time, right? <laughs> You're looking at the ticker, it's going up like one, two, three, you know, and it's just a lot different now. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, and, but it was exciting. Right. And you know, the, just the dopamine hit was real and, and, uh, we got to almost like an ounce of gold, right? It was like 1160 or something like that. And I'm getting ready to tweet shade at P Peter Schiff, right, to make fun of him. And, and then and then we had our horrible Bitcoin crash, and it went below $200, right? What was that, 85% or something like that? So yep. I, I was just buying all the way down, but it was just crushing and sad, you know, and it just, it just hurt me. And it's funny how those those painful buys end up being the best buys in Bitcoin, mm -hmm. you know? Um, so, so then um, making it worse, I convinced my stepfather to buy 20 Bitcoin at about like a thousand, you know, cost basis, right? So when it was like below 200, I looked like a complete fool to like the whole family, right? <laughs> and, and you learn not to like grok Bitcoin too much to people, you know, during like the height of the bull runs, you know? Um, so just for two years, I was just like confused, right? Like, how could I have been so wrong? Like it made so much sense, right? And, and you're just like, how, how could I have been so stupid? And what did I miss? And you, you can't even figure out like what you missed about the whole thing, right? So, so it's just all depressing and... I had my finger on the button to sell and I, I was just waiting for it to get back to like $900 or so, so I could like break even. Right. And it just didn't. So I forgot about it. Right. <laughs> and then, and there was like 2017 around like January 1st, it got back to around a thousand. And that's when I had this epiphany that it wasn't going to die. Right. And, mm. and I've been kind of a Bitcoiner again since that time. So that, that's like my whole story. <laughs> that is awesome. For real, because it's like, I, I, I mean, you know, it's weird how you need these multiple touches. I mean, lots of people have spoken about this, right? But you need these, sure. these like multiple touches with Bitcoin. So it's interesting that you were, you know, you were there in like 2013 and you had that like exposure, but yet you still needed to have that kind of touch happen again in 2017, right? Because yeah. Like, like I have to admit, you know, even for me, like I, you know, when I got into it in like, uh, I got into it through medium of exchange in like late 2015, early 2016. And I recall, um, the Bitcoin prices fluctuating between like, like high two hundreds and like 400 something. Okay. So I, I look at that now, of course, and I'm a total, total fucking idiot. Um, because all I did was use it, you know, to buy stupidity, but it, it didn't click to me until 2017, you know? Yeah. And then like 2017, I realized I'm like, oh my gosh, like, I've, I've just, I've been doing the wrong thing with this. You know, like I completely miss, I, it's like I, I misunderstood. I only looked at the one use case. I didn't think of the rest of it. But anyways, that doesn't matter. Yeah. Then uh, it got even more obvious after the fork wars and everything that Bitcoin is going to be the standard. Um. But but it was like maybe early 2017 when it started clicking. Yeah. But 
I, I did the same thing as you, like 2014, 2015. I, I, I spent like 20 Bitcoin on like Cuban cigars back then. Oh my you know? God. <laughs> um, but I, oh. I just did it. I did it as medium exchange too. I did it as like a pass through. So it wasn't yeah. like, you know, a stack or whatever. But, but it's just, you know, when you think about it, it sounds kind of crazy now. It's t- Yeah, exactly. Right. It's like, I could have held on to a lot of it, you know, and then of course, when 2017 came around and we were still below, um, maybe it was, maybe it was still 2016 Bitcoin time screws me up, but we were like Mm. below, you know, we we were still below, um, I think it was one K or something like that. And I just, you know, it's like, I I had bought like a, a bunch, you know, and, and I was just like, yeah, let's go buy some shit coins. You know, and I started buying all this crap like Ant shares and 10x and all this garbage. This is going to become a credit card. You know, this is going to become a payment system. This is going to become the next exchange. And I'm like, yeah, for sure. And then, like, I turned like 10 Bitcoin into something like 0.5 of a Bitcoin. <laughs> so, <laughs> magic. Anyways, <laughs> um, okay. I just want to touch on something quick. You talked about 3D printing. Uh, when I was buying stocks, I went along the same. So, first, I wanted to just give a shout out to your wife. Good for her. Okay. She's absolutely right. Because don't get me wrong, sports are super cool and I used to enjoy them too, but it was a complete waste of time because none of these fucking athletes know my name and they have no idea of my stats. They don't know how many times I shit in a day. They don't know how many times I piss. Nobody cares. You know? Russell Okung might know your name now and, and Saquon Barkley's about to know your name. Oh, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> but for the most part, they don't know me and it's okay. Like, I don't need to know their stats. But so for me, it was like, I was like, all right, fuck those people. I'm going to go with something that's going to help me. So shout out to her, uh, you know, for, for, for motivating you on that. I went down the 3D printing rabbit hole myself, but also in stocks. And um, I found that to be truly fascinating. And was that like approximately like 10 years ago? Something like that? Mm. Yeah, I think it was. Something like that? Yeah. Yep. 3D systems and stratus. Triple and D, exactly. Yeah. Yep. So we were both, man. Okay, do you remember? I don't know if you remember this one. There was a ticker Onvo called Organovo. Yeah, they were gonna print organs. Boom, dude. That that was I. When I read that use case, I didn't give a shit if it wasn't gonna be real. I <laughs> I, I bought as much as I could of that garbage. <laughs> yeah, it was like a, it was like a penny stock, yep. right? It was like a buck or something like that. That was weird. I actually we, did make on it, um, yeah. but. That, that thing totally fascinated me, man. The printing organs? Yeah. I thought it was going to get to be like food, you know, like Star Trek. You know, we, we still don't have flying cars, do we? No, we don't. No flying cars. We don't have real hoverboards. The, whatever they're using today, those are... <laughs> see, those are Fiat hoverboards. That's, yes. the, that's the hoverboard that Fiat made you. It's got freaking wheels. It doesn't come off the ground. And I, I want to try to make the case today that we have Fiat medicine. Yes. Okay. And we are going to go there. We're definitely going there. Okay. And actually we could probably, we could probably start there right now. Um, okay. Let's, let, let's dive into the, okay. So first of all, um, if you don't mind your background, uh, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm certified in neurology and, and sleep medicine. And when I started my career off 2008, you know, I was kind of doing both, but right now I focus on sleep medicine because neurology kind of became a non-viable business. You know, and right now I'm living and practicing the overly expensive and financially oppressive state of New York. Um, and, uh, you know, I mean, just I, I talk to other friends who are doctors or aren't doctors and just everybody knows there's something wrong with medicine. You know, it's just there's just something wrong in general in multiple industries, probably, you know, but the medicine experience is kind of turning into the DMV. 
you know, and, you know, and some of my doctor friends still like the current system, but I think they're, they kind of fall into that choresis yuppie definition. Right. Um, and then, you know, when I, when I talk to people about frustrations in medicine, what, what do most people lead off the conversation with? What, what do you think? The cost, I, I, maybe the cost. Well, I, I yeah, I, the cost, but they, they, they think the problem is politics, right? They're, they're like leading oh. it off with like, you know, some kind of political view. And, and so, you know, but I want to try to make the argument that you can't fix medicine, you know, or really anything else without fixing the money first, you know, and the politics is just kind of theater, I think. Yeah, I, I definitely, I, I mean, look, I definitely get that. So let's, I guess we'll, we'll back it up and start at the beginning, right? Um, okay. You know, what do we, I, I guess, you know, like, what, what is our premise? Our premise is that uh, essentially because, uh, because our money is garbage, we possibly have a quite subpar medical system. So how do you think that it, uh, you know, like how do you think fiat impacts our, our medical system? Well, I, th I think we have this race to the bottom because fiat um, discourages saving, right? Discourages wealth accumulation. So when you have patients and, and doctors and, and you know, hospital systems or medical clinics that have a hard time preserving wealth, then, you know, there's, there's just this, um, you know, there's this race to get like quantity over quality. Mm -hmm. So it kind of turns to this race to the bottom. Um, so, you know, then we try to solve the problem with increased regulation, right? So then we end up with like more bureaucratic red tape and, you know, they try to slow down the cost problem by requiring doctors to just do extra work like prior authorizations and they deny treatment, you know, and, you know, regulation also comes along with price fixing, which, which doesn't really help very much, um, you know, and, and then patients think that they have insurance, but, you know, they just kind of have like partial coverage in the case of emergencies and partial coverage in the case of like just routine care, you know, but mm -hmm. they're not really insured as good as they used to be. They just, I don't really think a lot of them even know that, you know, but if I think it really comes down to, you know, just all these parties don't have enough wealth and, and that leads to like decreased like optionality and ability, right? So, you know, doctors still do well, but, you know, most doctors don't even have a lot of savings really. So they don't have a lot of, you know, options. Um, you know, so this, this all limits just the, the idea of like optimal care, right? Um, so I, sorry, I, I was just, uh, I was just taking a note on the, the decreased optionality. Okay. So, so let me ask you this though, uh, because you were talking about the increased regulation. Um, mm -hmm. Where does that where does that regulation like where, where does that come from? Like I my personal belief is that it comes from uh, lobbyists. I, I, I believe that um, my personal belief is that, you know, pharmaceutical industry and, you know, the medical industry lobby the, the government. Yeah, I mean, well, there's there's lobbyists so that they can pick favorites, you know, and, and you know, the, the crony capitalism exists in medicine. But then there's also regulation just meant to curb costs, right? Because if they're going to help their friends, they've got to get the money from somewhere. Mm -hmm. you know, sl slid on costs somewhere else. So it's it's both just things that just kind of deny access to care and, and um, but at the same time also enrich other people. So, so one of the problems in medicine is that, you know, we're not like lawyers, like we don't get paid by like the hour, right? Mm -hmm. Everything's just kind of like price fixed. And there's yeah. some things there's some things in medicine that aren't even worth doing. Hence, I'm not doing neurology anymore. Right. 
But then there's other things in medicine that are paid too much, right? That, that, that they're overpaid for whatever service it is, right? And if you want to survive as a doctor, I mean, this is terrible, but you have to do more things that are overpaid than underpaid or you're going to go, go out of business, basically, right? So, like, it's almost like that it does, there's no rhyme or reason to who gets paid what, you know? And, and yeah, crony capitalism comes into it, but I don't know. I, I think sometimes they just don't even think it through. So this is this is interesting, right? Because we're we're talking about you know a person choosing to do a procedure just just simply because they're getting paid more, and that's it to do that procedure rather than a different one. Right. I mean, there's there's procedures or services that are absolutely necessary that that aren't being rendered as much because they don't pay enough to make up for the complexity or the liability, you know, or or you know just just the the time commitment for for those things, right? Okay. So, so like, you know, if it was a free market, then it would just sort itself out. Right. But it, it's just the opposite of a free market. It's, it's, it's an example of something that's, you know, just so overly regulated that, that pricing, it doesn't really make any sense. Let me ask you, what do you think of this? Um, I, um, I, I believe that our, our meta, our, our medical system for the most part is a lot of band-aids, so to speak. Right. We're, we're never really fixing anything like I, I have this uh, this this thing that I say, um, you know, we, we do three things. We cut, we burn, we poison. These are the three things that we know how to do. We can cut, burn and poison. Um, <laughs> but I could be totally wrong about this. But I, I just feel that like it's. Um, we're not incentivized to actually like sick, healthy people don't make money. Like, yes, they stay alive and they don't cost the system money in a socialist uh, e economy. But let's say in a, in a more, um, you know, like in, in a more uh, like, you know, capitalist economy like the USA. Right. Um, a healthy person doesn't do very much for the medical system. Well, I don't know, like like overly sick people actually cost the medical system more money. Interesting. Right. So like if you have a healthy person is buying insurance you know, that makes the insurance industry more money, right? Maybe they're the not doc, using it. Right. Maybe the doctor that does his annual well check makes more money because he has a non-complicated case that he gets paid for. Mm. Right. But, but, you know, probably the sweet spot for money is somewhere in the middle. Right. Mm. But, but, but actually healthy people at, they, they lead to cost savings probably, you know, Interesting. but like, but just to give you an example of like, you know, you, you hear of like Jeff Booth's, like, um, you know, idea that we should have a technological deflation of pricing, right? So we should just have an abundance mm -hmm. of, of, of services, you know, testing and, and, and care or whatever. Um, and even I would argue time to just talk to people about simple things like, you know, eating less calories and exercising, right? Um, but, and I actually first heard that concept because I took a course from JW Weatherman um, a couple of years ago. I don't know if you remember, he had like that little class but, um, you know, he was talking about this idea and it blew my mind that over time stuff should just get cheaper and we should get more for our money, not less for our money. We've just been indoctrinated the other way. Right? Yeah, totally. Um, and, and, you know, Jeff Booth's been talking about it lately. Um, but, you know, I'll give you an example of what's happening that's actually the opposite of that is in my industry. Like, I would argue that instead of your cutting and poisoning, like, I actually do some good because I treat sleep apnea, right? Mm -hmm. and, and, and sleep apnea is is a is treated with a, usually with a CPAP machine, it just gives you positive 
air pressure to hold your airway open so you get oxygen, right? So oxygen's good for preventative care. And sleep apnea is bad for high blood pressure, diabetes, heart attack, strokes, et cetera, right? Mm -hmm. so, so the stuff that we do is pretty simple and pretty cost-effective at like actually keeping people healthy. And the gold nice. standard... Yeah, so, you know, I, I do some good there. But, but the gold standard for treating or for, for testing for sleep apnea is an overnight sleepover in the sleep lab, right? Mm -hmm. And people come into our, our building and they, they go to a bedroom. We put wires all over them. We look at their brain waves and their heart rate, their oxygen, you know, we watch them sleep, right? And, and the lab sleepover is the most high quality data, data you can get to really characterize what kind of sleep apnea they have, you know, um, how much are they actually sleeping? What stage of sleep are they in? What position are they in, et cetera? You get, you get the best data with that. And you can actually care for people better with that better data. Then maybe seven years ago, the insurance companies have increasingly forced home studies on us, which is a lower quality study, right? So mm -hmm. now people go home with a belt that they wear on their chest and it's got yes. a box, right? And it's, just, it's a breathing study. It's a, it's a misnomer to say it's a sleep study because it doesn't even know if you're sleeping, which, which is kind of dumb, right? So somebody could be awake all night and it'd be negative because they have perfect breathing when they're awake because sleep apnea only gets you when you're asleep, right? Yeah. So, so like, you know, how, how does it happen when we have Moore's law, right? When we should, our technology should double every couple of years, you know, and we should have a natural deflation of pricing, but we, we've been forced to go to this home study, right? Mm -hmm. It actually gets worse because the next wave is going to be even worse than that. The next wave is not even going to be a breathing study. It's going to be a pulse study. So you can, you can measure your oxygen, you know, through, through your bloodstream and in your pulse. And it's going to estimate breathing events by your pulse now, right? So we've gone from an actual sleep study to a breathing study to a pulse study to diagnose sleep apnea, right? And, and I'm watching Whoa. this. I'm watching this knowing that our technology should be getting better, right? And as a Bitcoiner, you, it's, that's really frustrating to watch, right? But that's just where we're going. And these are the tools that I'm being forced to work with. That, so that, that's interesting, right? And would, so let me ask you this. Would you say that you're being forced to use a tool like this because it costs less to do? So that way the margin is bigger or because, look, at the end of the day, right, we, we have the premise that our money is bad. So, right, it, it's worth less and less and less, which means we always have to continually continue to earn it. And if we want to keep up or get ahead, we have to continually earn more and more of it because the current, whatever we currently save, uh, is dropping in value. So, yeah. So I think we're being forced to do it because it is cheaper. Mm -hmm. But, you know, medicine itself is more expensive, right? So, like, how is medicine more expensive when our diagnoses and, and treatments are cheaper it's because there's just you know an explosion of rent seeking you know middlemen that's happening right there's there's you ever see one of these charts where the administrators are skyrocketing while the providers are kind of staying the same you it's know margins and, yeah and 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 the the hmos are doing great it's just it's really like the like the national insurances like medicare medicaid that are kind of broke right so um the middlemen are doing fine but but the actual you know, the, the actual tools that we have to take care of people are getting worse, you know, at least in my experience, you know, I, I maybe another doctor would disagree with that. Well, um, well I, I can actually, I can actually speak to this point. Uh, it's a little bit different, but it's still in the medical field. Um, okay. So, um, dental technicians, right. Or ceramists, people who make teeth for a living. So before mm -hmm. a human being would make a tooth and it would be made out of a, uh, out of a metal alloy, right. And the 
the quality of the actual build and the materials was much higher. Now you can 3D print a tooth, but the materials that you're using are sub-quality. Um, I shouldn't say sub-quality. They're just lower quality, believe it or not, than the materials used um, by hand. Um, and, and that just has to do really with the technology of the printers, even though the printers are super expensive and high tech. You know, you're talking about a $100,000 printer, uh, you know, even $125,000 printer. Yeah. That, that's... So, so how is that how's that happening when we should have a natural abundance? Right? Exactly. Like, shouldn't we have like, shouldn't this technology also produce a superior quality tooth? I, that, that was exactly my point to that. You know, you would think we could make a good tooth. <laughs> we could make a good one. We just can't make a great one yet. Um, but yeah, you know, this goes back to, to what you're saying. It, you know, it's like, how come, you know, like, why is the quality, why is the quality less? And I think this yeah. goes back to the premise of the bad money. Yeah. I mean, I mean, when all parties are not able to build wealth, you know, cause you know, and I know, you know about this stuff, but you know, inflation is not the 2% CPI, you know, it's yeah. closer to the 15% that sailor is talking about, mm -hmm. you know, and, and I guess it's hard to put a number on it. Cause it just depends on what you want or what you need. So it's different for everybody, you know, but, but, um, you know, what they're doing is they're debasing the currency further to save us from COVID right now. Right. But when we understand the Cantillon effect, the elite have a lot of secondary gain, you know, so people are enriching themselves in this way. So, it's it's hard not to be skeptical of it. You know, they just passed the $1.9 trillion bill today. That's right. Um, so, you know, but so if we had sound money, you know, it, it doesn't solve the taxation problem, which is huge, or the or the overregulation problem, which is huge. Mm -hmm. That's right. You know, but I do think, I, I actually think there's some Bitcoiners, and you know who they are, they would argue that it does, right? <laughs> but... But, um, you know, but changing the sound money, you know, is probably the most critical step to allow all these parties to actually start building wealth on both the patient side and the treatment side, you know, and, and that that will increase ability all around. Um, you know, so when patients have wealth, they're better able to choose like what kind of care they receive. And, you know, when the medical centers and physicians have wealth, they can focus on quality over quantity, mm -hmm. you know, and, and most providers, you know, and I'm one of them want to deliver quality care. You know, but but, you know, we're, we're, we're just limited right now. And it'd be nice to have less limitations, you know, and and I think most importantly, you know, going to the sound money system would, would allow us to take advantage of that natural technological, you know, deflation and, and abundance, you know, that, that we just don't have right now. Obviously, we're moving the other direction, you know, but but the one thing I do know is like voting like sure as hell isn't going to fix it. Right. No, no, it, it's not. So. You know, I, I guess that, that that's my pitch for why Bitcoin, you know, sound money is, is needed to, to fix what's going on with, with our ability to deliver, you know, good medicine. I, you know, I'm even going to I'm even going to add a little bit onto it just because from from what I was saying before, um, for me, I, I think that, um, you know, again, this goes back to the whole, you know, the fiat everything, right? Fiat food, fiat medicine, fiat everything. Like, you know, we look at the current technological advances. We were talking about the hoverboards before. Like, that's exactly what that is. You know, it's like we have what we have because the base money that we're using is garbage. So if the base money that we use is of higher quality, then to your point, <clears throat> the services, services, the products, right, mm -hmm. are going to be, I believe, of higher quality as well. 
So yeah, I, I man, I, I totally agree. I, I think that uh, I think Bitcoin does fix this, but you know, to your again to your point, you know, the, you know, the, there's still it doesn't necessarily fix the problem of like taxation and legislation and stuff like that. Um, but maybe because it fixes our incentives, it ends up fixing that indirectly. Yeah, I mean, maybe our best shot at it fixing taxation is that. By having sound money, they have to treat us more as customers. I've heard people That's talk right. about that. You know, and and you can move it. So, you know, <laughs> that's part of the reason why they have to treat us like customers. That's right. We, <laughs> as you know, we are not the customers of the government. You know what I mean? Like that is not. You know, the right. government is supposed to work for the people, but we are not its customers. Yeah. You know? So yeah, that's exactly right. We're, we're more the the harvest matrix style. That's right. We're more the battery farm. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> we're, yeah we're more the battery farm but that's okay i i think that that's uh, i definitely think that that's changing so um i guess let, let me ask you uh you know let me ask you this like how would you how do you envision a a kind of bitcoin i guess i'd say a, a medical future with a bitcoin base Right. Like we have this base, you know, this base store of value for Bitcoin. Like, uh, you know, you were saying before that we would have like better quality services and whatnot. And um, do you have any, okay. any any like examples that you were thinking of or anything? Uh, I mean, nothing specific, to be honest. I just just that if just overall, just off, if everybody just start off with a base of not having to worry about costs so much and yes. just having more access, I mean, it would just be good for everything. Right. Um, I know that there was a, a physician on Twitter that was talking about starting a physician's group that accepted Bitcoin, you know, but but I'm I'm not sure like accepting Bitcoin is a that big of a difference maker as opposed to just, you know, the ability to protect your assets, mm -hmm. you know, so, you know, I, I guess I would certainly envision that, that it, there's not going to be huge improvements overnight. You know, um, it, it just really has to be just on a systemic level that that it, it's 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 available to everybody to use. And, and, you know, obviously more than just this, the select few are just using it, you know. Um, but but as far as, you know, how would it make a difference? It's just just, you know, doctors like me would actually have margins, you know, and, 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 and reserves, you know. So when stuff like covid hits and my sleep lab gets closed for four months, you know, we don't have to worry about the money so much. We can still focus on quality care. That would be nice, you know. So, you know, so, so obviously that makes my quality better, you know, and, and, and patients don't have to put up with garbage because, you know, they have options too. Yeah. So, so you know, I, you know, I, I can't really give you a specific answer on that, but I think no, no there's a difference all around. Yeah, because I know sometimes, like when I, you know, when I get cosmic, I'll like think of like these examples, you know, where you picture this, you know, this, this perfect future world, you know, so to speak, and it's like so. I, that, that's why I was wondering, you know. <laughs> yeah, well, hopefully we don't have like just Citadel medicine, you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right, exactly. You know. Um, okay, let me ask you. Let me ask you this: um, the uh, the medical insurance, uh, right? The uh, uh, the insurance providers. Are, yeah. they, are they are are they part of the problem right now? Like, are, are yeah. these people like I have a hard time. So, look, I come from Canada, so I know what it's like to have socialized medicine. Um, I moved here. I know what it's like to have private medicine. Both mm. both systems to me seem to have 
um, their own, you know, their own uh, perks, right? Pros and cons. Both mm-hmm. of them seem to have their own pros and cons. Um, but I've, you know, like a knock on wood, like I, I have yet to try to figure out if if the insurance providers are part of the solution or part of the problem. What are your thoughts? Well, I mean, could they be both? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's tough. I, I don't have an answer as far as like what what the solution is insurance wise. It seems like Medicare and Medicaid are constantly running out of money. You know, in an era where most people are expecting a slight raise every year, you know, because, quote, 2% inflation, um, my reimbursement's a big cut, 40% for the same thing over the last eight years or so, you know, so, so like, you know, it's just, they just set the price and you have to take it, basically, you know, so hmm. that, that's, not, that's not great for quality care. Um, as far as like, you know, people pay for insurance, you know, you got your HMOs. I'm not quite sure why there needs to be a middleman to dictate who can do what. Like if there is profit to be made in the system by a middleman, like that money seems like it would be better put to use just taking care of people. Hmm. Um, you know, but I also get that in the past doctors have abused the system too. Right. If there was no checks, it would be ugly too. Yeah. So that's why I don't really know what the solution would be. But but I know that having a base money um, that that steals from you on all sides probably doesn't help the care of medicine. So it's the only thing I'd really put my finger on and say, let's fix this. You know, yeah. As opposed as opposed to the insurance companies. Yeah, I, that that's definitely a good point. I mean, I always look. I always think of this. Right, we're incentivized to make cheaper parts. Right, to always keep the margins where they are or make them bigger. Okay, like, and that's very difficult to do, you know, as we know, margins have gotten thinner and thinner and thinner on, you know, on items. So it's like, you know, you're trying to provide medical care, but yet these people, you know, like the people creating these products um, and even services for that matter, they have to cut every single piece so that that way they can actually keep those margins, you know, mm-hmm. because they, they live like people live on those margins. So I, I, I do think that, yeah. I think in my, in my utopia, I'd like to see just, you know, uh, a free market for medicine. You know, that was just right. more cap- capitalistic and people could pay out of pocket for what they needed. Right. And then when you bring that up now, people are like, oh, don't you care about people because people can't afford it. But but in a sound money uh, system, there'd be a lot more people that could afford it. Right. And then and then the need for insurance becomes a lot less. I think so. Yeah, I, I do. You know, I do agree with that. I, I've thought about this a, a, like a hundred times, right? It's like it's always this argument that if you're for privatized medicine or free market medicine, um, that you're that, that you're against you're against poor people. You're against people that can't afford medicine. You're against, you know, like it, it, it's mm. not it's not a black and white issue. It is mm. a it is a gray area. And I, I, I do agree. It's look, it, it's very challenging. And what I could say on it is this, right? Um, I believe that if we had better money, um, then the real cost of, of products would obviously come down. But I, I truly believe that under a system with better money, we'd be incentivized to act better, to eat better, to, you know, right now we, we go to school and, and people aren't pro- taught really proper nutrition in any way, shape or form. 
They're not taught actually how to live. They're simply taught to be cogs in a machine. And, and as a result, you, you end up, unfortunately, for the most, I shouldn't say for the most part, but for a, a pretty decent part, you end up with some pretty dysfunctional adults, you know, that end up living off of hot dogs for the next 35 years and then wondering how they end up with cancer. You know, like, right. what do you mean? I, well, I didn't smoke. You know, it's <laughs> like, yeah, you didn't have to. Your stomach was smoking. So it's like, you, you know, like, I, I think that, like, I, I believe that because the incentives would change, we would have more um, properly educated people. We'd have healthier people. And I believe that as a result, I think that we would also be more willing to, um, you know, for the people that can't afford healthcare, I think we would be willing to, to pay some, you know, some small amount as, as a society because, and this is my own belief, uh, I forget where I read this, but I, I totally believe it, um, you know, a society isn't measured by how they treat, um, you know, their their most well off. It's it's measured by how they treat their poorest and most destitute. So, right. you know what I mean? If we would I, if Bitcoin would incentivize us to be so great, I believe that we would not only have great aspirations, but that we would be able to do great things. And that would be part of it. Well, we're, we're already spending we're already spending a lot to that end. It's just that without a free market, we're very inefficient, right? Because we've lost mm -hmm. the price signal. So, so as much money as we're spending is not really doing the job well enough, right? Mm. So the only the only way to make it more efficient is to make it more of a free market, you know. And, and along the same line, like you know, we we say that we want to help um, the destitute more, you know. So we need insurance. It's the same idea as the the UBI, right? Mm. Like we want to help the destitute. So let's have UBI, and you don't you don't. Um, if, if you don't like UBI, then you're against the destitute. But what a lot of people don't realize is stuff like that makes people more destitute, right? Yeah. So, so you know, it's 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 hard to convince people that if mm. you just have free market money and a free market, there will be more people well off in general. Yeah. You know? I, I do think, though, I, I don't like, you know, like I said at the beginning, it's it's not, you know, it's not cut and dry. It is a gray area. And I believe that the free market would sort it. I do believe it would sort itself out in, in that way. I, I don't think, you know, but but you see, but the big governments, though, they want you to think that that's not a solution. Right. They want you to think that without them. You can't help the poor. You can't help the sick. Right. You know? Right. They're the only people with the ability to yes. help people. You can't organize. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, another another similarity, another tie between medicine and the money is they're both kind of purposefully like confusing to people, right? Hmm. Like people are not taught money. Very few people, you know, uh, I don't know. I think I think really understand how money works. You know, when you when you hear Breedlove talk about all the qualities of good money you know most people haven't heard that um and, and the medical system is purposefully confusing too and even as a physician i don't understand it right i don't know i don't know how people are supposed to know what's best for them in in this system and i think it's purposeful because this stuff really shouldn't be all that complicated i totally agree um, i completely agree hey yeah you know wh while we're on the topic of medicine can i push back on some bitcoiners Oh, man, for sure. So, like, you know, Bitcoiners are very skeptical people, and I get that. But I, I hear a lot of Bitcoiners complaining about doctors, and it just drives me crazy. <laughs> you know? 
So like, you know, I think I heard, you probably heard this too, but John Vallis was complaining that, that his doctor wasn't smart enough to recommend like hallucinogenic mushrooms, you know, and, and I'm, I'm sitting here, I'm listening to this podcast. And I'm thinking like, dude, like 90% of people won't listen if I say eat less calories and mix in some exercise, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, yes. and, and if I recommend that he goes, has, has some hallucinogenic mushrooms, you know, so he can go trip balls and find enlightenment. You know, it, it might be good for his well-being. I don't, I don't really know, you know, but, but also he might die or, or I, might, I might get sued or I might get arrested, right? So there's, there's, there's like no incentive for me to include that. You know, I'm not going to get paid anymore to include that. And there's a lot of disincentive, right? So, so like you would think a Bitcoiner would figure out the incentives on that. Yeah, you know? that's true. That's you know? a good point. And, and I really like JW a lot, but I've heard him constantly complain about like doctors that prescribe stimulants. You know, he's, he's mm-hmm. like, and he kind of describes it like a doctor wants to get a kid addicted to crack or something, right? But, but, you know, and medicines are overprescribed. We should try not to prescribe them. But, you know, you got to realize that, like, some people have, like, narcolepsy, right? And that person's not going to stay awake and, like, drive safely unless you give them a stimulant, right? So, so there's, like, a time and a place for stuff, you know? And then, and then you got, like, all the carnivores, and, you know, they're, they're complaining. Their doctor tells them not to eat too much meat, you know? And I would just say, you know, we're not nutritionists, you know? And if you really need a professional, you know, you can get a nutritionist, but... You know, it's probably not good for your bowels if you just have a bunch of meat and no fiber, right? Yes. Yeah. So, so I wanted to get that off my chest because I'm listening. That's to all this awesome. Podcast. When people bitch about doctors, it just drives me crazy. You know, we, you know, we have jobs and we have incentives just like everybody else. You, you know, but th- th- this is the, uh, you know, th- this is the the whole thing, right? Is that, um, you know, w- when it comes to these things, it's like. I think, like you know, we have to be, you know, we got to be, we got to be objective, right? You know, like we, we got to be as objective as we can be, but at the same time, we, we have to be realistic, right? Like, sure, the doctor can prescribe hallucinogenic mushrooms, okay? That, that's true. Um, but like you said, I wouldn't want to deal with a person that after the fact, you know, possibly had a bad trip and like fell down the stairs and, you know, became unconscious. And now all of a sudden they're in the hospital, you know, like, it's like, I, I just, uh, you know, sometimes as Bitcoiners, we have really great takes, but sometimes we're just terrible. You know, it's like, I think the carnivore take, um, you know, I think what's really important is balance. Okay. Like that, that to me is really what's important. Um, and the other thing that I remind myself is that nobody else knows how to live for you. You know, like this is something that always like rings true. Like, you know, your neighbor learned how to live by looking at their parents or their sister or their brother or their friends. And that's how they learned how to live. And where do you think that person learned how to live? From somebody else. So nobody fucking knows how to live for themselves. Okay. And like, yes, I understand there's research and everything like that into nutrition and all that good stuff. But at the end of the day, right, it's like, Somebody else is going to sit there and it goes back to what you were saying about the incentives, right? Like they're doing something. They feel proud about it. It's working for them. So they're incentivized to tell everyone else that, hey, this is, you know, this is the answer, you know? So I I think like, you know, one thing I, another thing that I always remind myself is, you know, you know, life is like an experiment. You know, we got to try things and proof is my success. So I'm going to go, I'm going to try something. If it works for me, then that's my proof. You know, if it doesn't, yeah. I'll switch it away. <laughs> I mean, to, to be honest, I probably lead 
lean more carnivore myself, but you know, I'm a nutritionist, you know, I just, you know, it's, it's but, funny to just complain about your doctor, not talking about meat. I, <laughs> I, I gotta be honest with you. Um, with the exception, with the exception of the very small amount of time and, and very small amount of time that my GP talks to me about nutrition, <laughs> um, They've never mentioned, they, they've never sp- particularly talked about eating only red meat or not. You know, usually it's much more of a generalized, like, stay away from too many fast foods. Don't eat too many fries. You know, like, it's like usually like very generalized like that. And make sure that you exercise at least four times a week. You know, do some intense cardio or some walking. <laughs> That's, I, I've never had them have an in-depth conversation about why or why not I should be eating more red meat. So. Yeah. Well, you see, you know, you see those posts of those guys that go out to dinner and they're just all having like a giant steak and it's like a really macho thing. It's kind of funny. Did you, um, did you see that post by Newt that he was talking by Newt's Van Home? I don't know if you saw that, but you know, he got really into the carnivore stuff and he, oh, ended- he had, he had a colon issue, right? That's right. He had, I believe yeah. it was diverticulitis. Yeah. So, yeah. and that, and a guy that I know from work had that, and that is not something that I wish upon my worst enemy. Yeah, you got to so. mix in some fiber. I, I, I did have a steak with Samson once. That was cool. Cool. I got to interview him once. Yeah, he's it, it was it was actually pretty funny. He's he's a super he's actually a super down to earth guy. So. Oh, amazing guy. Well, yeah, just I mean, you know, not, you know, not that I really know him all that well, but just one of the coolest people I ever met. Um, but uh, yeah, that was really neat. And, you know, and, and I, I like that you and Nico are pretty toxic. Um, you know, it, what bugs me the most on Bitcoin Twitter are, are the, are the influencers that, that obviously are smart and obviously know better, but they get like into shit coining. Right. And these are the people that have been, you know, professing sound money to us for years. And, and it's just like this, this is a, you know, just intellectual dishonesty when, when you hear it coming from some people. And it drives me crazy because Bitcoiners, I don't think are toxic enough, right? There's, there's like a really just a few people that they get toxic about this stuff. Yeah, it's it's true, you know, and it's it, it look, you know, to, to your point, right? I mean, we we know the dynamics. There, there's a lot of circle jerking, you know. There's a whole like, you know, you want to be in the big club, and you want to, yeah, yeah. you know, you want everybody to like your fucking tweets and retweet them, and you know, jerk you off, and it's wonderful. Uh, you know what? It's but but then you know how you start to feel. At least this is my my opinion. You, you start to feel like a puppet. And, and, and everyone's got, everyone's got a string, right? Mm-hmm. And they can all pull all those different fucking strings on you. So, right. you know what? I, I think it's, I, I think to your point, Bitcoiners aren't toxic enough and you, you should be more willing to cut those fucking strings. Right. And you know, you don't need them. Yeah. I mean, I see some of the, my favorite people who are just going on shows. I'm like, really, you're going on that show. And it's, you know, you don't need to be on every show. Do you? you know? <laughs> um, and then and, and to give you an opposite example, like Novogratz, is somebody who doesn't even make me mad because I don't think he gets it, you know? Yeah, I totally agree. He's, the, he's, he's just an entertaining character. Yeah, so that's, that's fine. But there's a lot of smart people out there, and we know who they are. Yeah. You know? Yeah, that, that is a good point. And it is, it is kind of disheartening to see, you know, real intelligent people um, either shilling crappy narratives, you know, or essentially endorsing really shitty ideas or really shitty behavior. So... Yeah, I, I totally agree, man. But, you know, but now the big thing in the media that's, you know, just sad is they're just fabricating, like, division, right? So Oh, yeah. You know, 
Like, you know, every, everything is about highlighting everybody's differences. And let's talk about how we're all different. You know, we just can't all oh. treat each other the same, right? That would be cool if we just said, hey, we're all the same starting now. Let's, let's be the same. No, 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 no. What we got to do to your point is we all have to notice our differences. And what we need to do most importantly is be on eggshells about them. Right. Yeah. That yeah. that's what we need. We need to be on eggshells about them. So you never fucking know how to address anyone. You don't know what you can say, what you can say, how you can act. It's fantastic. So everyone just stands there confused. Yep. Yeah. You're not allowed to have an opinion. That's why you need your, your, you know, discussion citadel, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, but, you know, and I mean, and, and I think you had a show with Nico about, about the FUD that's coming. You know, I saw today on Yahoo, there was an article where, where a man who was an expert in, in crypt, encrypted technology and Bitcoin abducted a girl, you know, and it, it had nothing to do with the abduction, but it was just, just they're, they're putting the FUD out already and that's going to be a battle soon oh yeah it's already i mean look it's already started the reality is is that um it's only gonna get worse right and seriously like i, I know you know a lot of us are obviously cheering you know bitcoin 100k and bitcoin 250k and all that good stuff but man when we get to those numbers believe me th these institutions all of these you know these groups this is not going to go away. They are not just all of a sudden going to say, all right, we lose, right. you know, here's the white flags, you know, we're, we're surrendering. I don't think that's going to happen at all. I think they are going to turn up the heat on the fight. And I think that there is going to be a lot of salty, salty, disappointed people out there. Yeah. You it's going to be a lot, a lot harder to kill now than it was in 13 or 17 though. Yep. It's almost impossible now, man. 600 days chain rewrite do you know how expensive that is they are gonna have to print money like there's no tomorrow man they're gonna need backup printers <laughs> to print that yeah. well i'm you know the corporations are starting to to reserve uh, i'm really interested to see when this happens at a country level i guess besides iran right but um that that would be an interesting cold war uh sorry what between uh between iran oh I mean, no, I'm saying like there'd be an interesting Cold War if nation states started reserving and, and they realized that they oh. other other nations need to reserve just to catch up. Right. Yes. Yes. Um, that could get just crazy. Oh, my God. Well, especially if it's Bitcoin at the base. Mm -hmm. I mean, don't get me wrong. You know, we always joke around, but like then truly, I mean, all of our models are fucked anyways right now, but like they become even more they, they, they just become even more screwed at that point because really like we talk about nation states getting involved we talk about this stuff but like I, I again you know this is one of those things i don't think we really understand what that means we've never had a truly finite um hybrid asset that we can hold we can transfer we can transact with it we can man we can even add messages to it you know what i mean and it's it's there forever it's completely immutable i mean i Look, I, I think everybody, you know, it's it's like we didn't understand the orders of magnitude that the Internet was going to affect our lives. I really don't think enough people. Yes, a very small group of people understood it, but the majority of us did not understand it. And well, it's the same thing. We were, we were still indoctrinated to listen to people like Krugman, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, just it just it just the magnitude of this thing is so big 
that I must be so annoying because I just talk about Bitcoin to like everybody I run into now. You know? <laughs> and I, I realize I'm annoying, but I can't stop doing it. You know, it's not annoying. Well, I mean, but, but I was going to say, yeah. it's not annoying for us. Right, right, right. <laughs> So my normie friends are like, dude, stop talking about Bitcoin, you know? Oh, yeah, for sure. Nobody wants to hear but, me anymore. But, but you know, some of them are getting into it, though, you know, and it's it's, uh, it's nice. But we're getting into this, you know, the, the end of uh, 2021, it might get frothy, and that's where it gets dangerous to start recommending it. And you run into another, you know, stepfather situation, uh, uh, possibly. So I got, we got to start being careful now, too. Yeah, that's true. I, I mean, I don't, you know, I tell people because I have had a few people approach me. So I tell them, hey, listen, you know, you might want to start small. We have had a big run up. You know, we may pull back, but this is kind of the beginning of the bull run. So, you know, I, I always tell them, listen, you know, just just educate yourself and start off small, you know? Yeah, I'm starting to tell people to think of it just more as a savings technology than an investment. Yeah, you know? That's true too. Even though it is kind of a bit of both, but right. But at the same time, I, I do get it um, because let's face it, right? You know, we've never once again we go back to those basics of money, right? We've always had money that is crap. So for us, we've never really had money that is also a savings technology. So money has never been a quote unquote investment and the savings vehicle, you know, for right. us. So this is a little bit different for a lot of people to think about. Yeah. Yeah. Another. You know? uh... Another thing that's crazy is that we always talk about being like a like a low time preference thing, but it's also a high time preference thing too. Yes, kind of the best of both, you know. It, it, okay, I forget who said this to me, but that is a very good point. We're very high time preference in terms of purchasing Bitcoin. We're very low time preference in terms of holding on to Bitcoin, right? Because we want to own Bitcoin as quickly as possible. Yeah. So that's yeah, like very yeah. high time preference of us. And, and don't get me wrong, like I'm yeah. a hodler, right? Right. I'm, I'm not going to sell any more than I absolutely would need to, right? But if you're looking at it as a short-term investment, it's also the best short-term investment too. I can't disagree. That $1,200 check right. from last, uh, what was it, from last May or something is now it's like... more than 10 grand or something. Yeah, like man, 10 grand. Freaking stomp the S&P, you know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know... You, you talk about it in terms of like a month, three months, a year, so on, right? And, you know, if, if you wanted to invest some money because you knew you had an expense a year from now, it's still the best thing. Yeah, I totally agree. Man, this has been a, this has been a freaking cool conversation, man. This is, this is awesome. Do uh, you have, is there like uh, anything you want to, you want to throw in? Um, not really. I mean, I, I, I'm fairly um you know accessible on twitter yep. right so so uh you know if anybody wants to hit me up at frito2x you know i'd love to chat um you know phil this really this was a lot of fun and it was great talking to you and you know i i hope we can keep in touch and uh you know thank you very much for the opportunity Man, absolutely, and uh, we're gonna put uh, we're gonna put Frito Two X's uh, contact details in the show notes for Twitter. So if anybody wants to reach out to him, and uh, yeah, man, thank you again for coming on my show. This was awesome. Thank you, sir. All right, keep in touch. You too. All right, later. later. I hope you guys enjoyed the show. I, I really had a lot of fun talking with Frito. He is by far one of my favorite fellow Bitcoin plebs in the space. Um, his contact details will be in the show notes uh, for Twitter. And if you want to reach me, Twitter or Telegram, I'm at CoinIcarus. If you want to shoot me an email, I am CoinIcarus at funwithbitcoin.com. Thank you all for listening. Catch you all next time.